Well, I guess it's a uh, good day to be from Pittsburgh and not so hot to be from Atlanta. If I seem a little down today, it's because I'm a Falcons fan. (laughs) Not a lot to cheer about, is there? Well, um, I tell you, I mean, I, I told somebody earlier, I guess I need to learn from this. And you would think after two years of, uh, of being here, I, I would know better than to announce that uh, last Sunday and this Sunday was Stewardship Sunday. Uh, what happened to our group? I told somebody, I'm, I think I'm going to announce next year, hey, we're having a giveaway. See who shows up. <laughs> but anyways, I am glad you're here this morning. And I do know that there are many uh, of uh, those in, that are sick, and uh, we do pray for, for their recovery. I do want to announce this, a very serious note. Um, Lois Ann is just not doing well. And um, uh, Allison and I and the kids went by yesterday and visited with her. Uh, I would just pass this on to you. If you want to see Lois, um, you need to go. Um, just it, it, uh, We don't know uh, how long she'll have. That's in the Lord's hands. But uh, she is declining uh, rapidly. And so uh, continue to pray for uh, her and uh, the family. And uh, I know Robbie's already move, making moves for funeral preparation, so it's at that point. So uh, just continue to pray about that, if you would greatly appreciate it. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Very popular Old Testament passage, uh, utilized during Stewardship Month. See, you only get two weeks. Man, I'm going to have to look at that next year. Most churches do Stewardship Month, you know. Uh, But uh, two two sermons, not too bad. I want to kind of do a recap for those of you who maybe weren't here last week. We tackled the issue of, is the tithe for today? And we sort of looked at tithe versus um, free will offering or a tithe versus grace giving, as some folks like to, to uh, phrase it. And uh, we looked at some, some things such as in regards to the tithe, it appears the Old Testament uh, was dealing with agriculture, that uh, there was no monetary means involved. Uh, when they tithed, it was from the produce from their land, from their crops. And that was the tenth that went into the storehouse. And we'll talk a little bit about that again this morning. Um, There was the occasion where they would sell some of that to make the journey to Jerusalem uh, to the temple. And, And then once they got there, they would exchange that back into produce, if you will, grain, whatever the case may be, and uh, take that uh, to the priest and part of their act of worship. And uh, again, we looked at the different tithes. There was the tenth. There was also the second tenth. And then there was the every three years of uh, the tenth set aside for the poor. And um, uh, some folks uh, have calculated that uh, you, could, you could average about 23% of uh, as far as uh, what the Israelites gave on a consistent basis. It was a tax. And, and, and so that was separate from the offerings that are mentioned. But you'll also note that last week we, we looked at 
uh, it seems, based upon Scripture, that that tithe preceded the Mosaic Law. So the arguments raised, was it just uh, a Mosaic practice? We saw Jacob giving a tenth. We saw Abraham giving a tenth. And we also wrapped it up by talking about some of uh, Paul's words as to um, we should give and how we should give. And we left you with the conclusion, it's this pastor's opinion, that that Old Testament example of the tenth is a starting place. One uh, commentary likened it to milk. And grace giving is meat. And as we grow in our walk, as we mature in our faith, we should move from milk to meat. Again, great theologians discuss this. Is the tenth for today? Is the tithe for today? Or is it grace giving? Is it the old covenant or the new covenant? And I don't think they're at odds. I think one is a springboard to the other. I think it's a benchmark. It's a place to begin. And we should move forward from that point as we grow and mature in our walk. So that's where we sort of left it last week. Let, let me sum it. I found this article by R.C. Sproul, and I, I think this, again, R.C. has a take on it, a, a, um, a differing take, but... Interesting enough, though, listen, listen to what he has to say. Recently, I read an article that gave an astonishing statistic that I find difficult to believe is accurate. It declared that of all of the people in America who identify themselves as evangelical Christians, only 4% of them return a tithe to God. If that statistic is accurate, it means that 96% of professing evangelical Christians regularly systematically, habitually, and impotently rob God of what belongs to Him. It also means that 96% of us are for this reason exposing ourselves to a divine curse upon our lives. Whether this percentage is accurate, one thing is certain. It is clear that the overwhelming majority of professing evangelical Christians do not tithe. This immediately raises the question, why? How is it possible that somebody who has given his or her life to Christ can withhold their financial gifts from Him? I have heard many excuses or explanations for this. The most common is the assertion that the tithe is part of the Old Testament law that has passed away with the coming of the New Testament. This statement is made routinely in spite of the complete lack of New Testament evidence for it. Nowhere in the New Testament does it teach us that the principle of the tithe has been abrogated. The New Testament does teach us, however, that the New Covenant, and this is a key point, I think, I agree definitely here, the New Covenant is superior to the Old Covenant. It is a covenant that gives more blessings to us than the old covenant did. It is a covenant that with its manifold blessings imposes greater responsibilities than the Old Testament did. If anything, the structure of the new covenant requires a greater commitment to financial stewardship before God than that which was required in the old covenant. That is to say, the starting point of Christian giving is the tithe. 
The tithe is not an ideal that only a few people reach, but rather should be practiced by all. You know, it's uh, a way to look at this uh, is to is to maybe think of it from this perspective. A, a pastor wants to use this illustration. Hear this out. This is great. I had a couple uh, come into my office for marriage counseling. I asked the man why he wanted to get married. He said, because I love this lady and want to spend the rest of my life with her. I then asked, how would he support a wife and perhaps a family? He said, I plan to give her $15 to $25 every week to run the household. Thinking that I had not understood, I had him repeat himself and he said the same thing. In surprise, I said, I thought you said you loved this lady. He replied, I do. But I said, why don't you prove it by giving more than $15 to $25 a week? He then replied that he had a lot of things to do with his money and she would just have to make out on the money he gave her. Now that's not necessarily a true scenario, but it is true in the sense that that's the attitude of a lot of, a lot of professing believers. Those people who've said, I do to Jesus Christ. And yet, 15 to $25 should be sufficient to run the household of God. I've got a lot of things to do with my money. I know we've heard this many times. I appreciate what Brother Dean said while ago in the bibliology class. If we don't establish that this is God's Word first and foremost, then the rest really doesn't matter, does it? We say we believe this book. If I were to go around this room, take a survey, come to you face to face, do you believe this is truly God's Word? Inerrant. I would think the majority of you, hopefully all of you, would say, yes, I believe that. So if we believe that, we say we believe that, then this teaches me that He owns it all. Right? Right? He owns everything, or He does not own everything. But it teaches us He owns everything. He is Lord of all. Guess what that includes? Not just the 10%, but 100%. You have what you have. I have what I have by the grace of God because of who He is. And He set boundaries for us. He's laid out principles and as we apply these principles, as we are obedient, as we grow in our faith, as we walk by faith, not by sight, God honors that word. He honors our obedience. Obedience always brings blessing. Disobedience always brings curse. I mean, that's a simple handbook for dummies when it comes to the Bible, right? Now, again, this isn't as the faith, uh, the, the, the word, um, um, 
the uh, movement, the the, uh, actual phrase uh, eludes me at this time, the word faith movement, thank you Lord, the word faith movement uh, does not paint this picture properly. The whole name it and claim it. Their idea of blessing is you give to get. That's not the reason for giving. And that's not what this message is about at all. But is blessing a result of giving? Absolutely. Not just financially, though sometimes it may come in that form. Blessing in general that we're being obedient to to the Word of God and that the kingdom of God is advancing. What greater blessing is that? To store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thieves, they, they don't damage it there. It's not damaged there. So I want us to think about these things as we look into the Word of God this morning in Malachi chapter 3. I uh, entitled this sermon today, Steelers! Steelers! And I ain't talking Pittsburgh. Notice, if you will, in uh, verse 6. By the way, that was for Ukraine, and O'Hara is not here. You can let him know. That was uh, appropriately ta- uh, titled. Um, notice in, in, in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 3. Let's begin, begin reading. For I am the Lord. I, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, yet from the days of your fathers... You have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me. Even this whole nation... Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, in context here, you obviously, you you have the Old Testament in play. You do have uh, the Israelites who... Um, we're under the law. Malachi is one of the last prophets prior to the final prophet of the Old Testament that closed it out, which was John the Baptist. And between Malachi and John the Baptist is about 400 years of silence. No new revelation from God. And, and Malachi, throughout the book of Malachi, and in fact, if, if, you'll, if you'll go through there, you'll see these phrases, you'll see these questions being asked to God's people. And the questions are asked, and, and, and you'll, you'll hear almost a sarcastic response. 
notice, and if you want to go through here and mark some of these, there are, there are others, but these are just some of the ones that, that I had marked from uh, the book of Malachi. Notice in, in chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Notice in verse 6, to, to you priests who despise my name, you say, in what way have we despised your name? Notice also in verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, you have wearied the Lord. The response, you say, in what way have we wearied him? The passage we just looked at. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. In what way have we robbed you? Verse 13. Your words have been harsh against me. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? And again, there are others throughout this text But there's something going on here. And I can sum it up like this. God has not changed. And you know what? Neither have the people. You see, God's still holy, and the people are still unholy. It's interesting because in the response, it's obvious the people don't get it. They're asking God, well, well, how have we done this? God's telling them what they've done. Well, well, how have we done that? I don't think we've done that. Do you think we've done it? No, no. And isn't that oftentimes like us, we become so religious? And I think that's the point here. They were religious in their rituals. They were still performing their practices, so to speak but their heart was far from Him. There was religion, but there was not relationship. And I think that's the key. There was religion, but there was not relationship. And that's the case in a lot of our churches. There's a lot of pomps and circumstances. There's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of lip service. I go to church. I've done my duty. And the heart is so far away from God. And I think that's the case here in Malachi. In Malachi, the prophet is calling for the people to repent. Let's look closer into today's text with that as a backdrop, with that as an understanding. And... Let's go through and see what God has for us. For I am the Lord, I I do not change. This speaks of God's immutability. The same yesterday, today, forever. He's the same God. When you read those Old Testament stories where His wrath is poured out, guess what? His wrath will one day be poured out again. When you look on the Old Testament and you see the great blessings... Guess what? He's still blessing today. 
His immutability. He's unchanging. He says, therefore, you're not consumed, O sons of Jacob. What does that speak about? God's mercy. You see, a lot of times we do want to paint God as just in the Old Testament. He was just a God of wrath. You know, the lightning bolt going to strike you dead. But no, you go through the pages of the Old Testament and it's full of grace. And here's another reminder. You're not consumed, people of Israel, though you've done all these things that we just talked about. Though you do these things, though you've forsaken me, though you've gone after idols, you're not consumed because God doesn't change. He's still a merciful God. But that doesn't mean that that long-suffering will continue forever. There comes a point when God's wrath will be poured out. But he says, Yet from the days of your fathers you've gone away from my ordinances, verse 7, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. You know, that reminds me of in, in, in James chapter uh, 4, verse 7, where he talks about uh, submit to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. You know, church, that's something that today is still very much real in our own life. You know, God wanted His people here in this text to return to Him. And He says, I will return to you. Can I assure you this morning, that's still a promise that's available today. If you've gone away from God, maybe you've grown complacent in your heart, maybe you've uh, left the things of God and how you're living and how you're, you're um, fleshing out your faith. Return to the Lord. He will return to you. You see, repentance is very much a part of believers' lives. In fact, uh, J. Vernon McGee, I heard him preaching a message on this, and he said, you know, repentance is a message that was preached to God's people, not to the lost man. I've never, I had never heard it put that way before, and I'm not sure where I, where I stand on it. His point was that when someone turns to God initially for salvation, repentance is found in that, obviously. But when you see the message in the Scriptures, when you see the message preached, it's typically to the Jewish people, those that had God's ordinances, God's Word. They knew of God, who He was, and His truth, but yet had gone away from it. You see it in the, in the church as well. Those who go into a life of sin proclaiming the name of Christ to repent. Bottom line is it a message that we all have to heed. And yet as believers we should repent daily, should we not? No, not for salvation. But to have a clean heart and life before the Lord. He says, I'll return to you if you return to me. And, and, but you said, in what way shall we return? We haven't gone anywhere, God. We're still doing the same thing you've instructed us to do. I still go to church. I go to Christian school. You know? I give faithfully. Been giving my 10% for 40 years. What else do you want me to do? How, how have I gone away from you, God? I don't get that. I don't get that. But again, just as is in the heart of this text, and is the message I believe God would have us here this morning is, but is it religious? 
Or is it relational? Where where are we? (laughs) Do we need to return to the Lord in that sense, in that perspective? Well, he goes on and he says, Will a man rob God? Verse 8. Yet you've robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And here again, you see that distinction between the tithe and the offering. And they're presented as two separate things here in the text. You are cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Now think about again the context of who this is being written to. He's saying, look, bring those tithes, bring those agricultural goods, and we'll put them in the storehouse. And the storehouse was a place in the temple where all of those uh, things were stored, all that food was stored to help provide for the Levites and their families. But also, uh, the, think about all those animal sacrifices that would have to be done and feeding them and providing for that. And, and so he says, bring those into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Notice what he says. And try me now in this. Now this is unique in Scripture. You know, typically, do not test the Lord your God, right? I mean, we know this throughout Scripture. You don't put God to the test. But here we have God saying, try me. Try me now in this. Notice what He says to these to His people. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. What? Yeah. God tells His people, He says, Look, you're not walking by faith. You're not living by faith. So just try me in this. Alright? You're robbing God. You're not bringing what you're supposed to be bringing into the storehouse. So what was happening is the Levites were having to forsake a lot of their responsibilities and go to farming to provide the, what was needed. And that was just one of the things that was being neglected. At the heart of what's being neglected, though, is obedience to Christ, obedience to God in this. That was what was at the heart of it. So God says, okay, well, try me in this. Try me in this. You start doing what you've been asked to do. Be obedient to this. And see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing upon you, you won't even be able to handle it. Now, I know this is Old Testament. Okay, we want to make these theological disputes. But again, this is the same God of the Old Testament as the New Testament. It's the same God we're serving today. And I'll never forget my wife and I, when God, this was the passage of Scripture that, boom, illuminated to my heart. When we had gone through Bible college, we were in church ministry, And I cannot tell you, I look back, we're baffled, both of us look back and we're still baffled. Why were we not giving consistently, faithfully at least a tithe? I still don't understand why we weren't, but for some reason we'd made it through Bible college, we were in ministry, and we still had not been taught how to biblically, properly give. And we read a book, some of you, you've heard me say this, you'll hear this again in the financial peace class, this is part of our testimony, that... We read a book by J. Raymond Albrechtson. It's called Living Large Even on a Little. 
And uh, we began to look into the Dave Ramsey uh, course as well that reiterated these principles. And, and all of these were principles of Scripture. And God was dealing with us in our walk, in our life, in the area of obedience in giving. And I read this passage. And I mean, I was like a kid in a candy store. I know I'd read Malachi before, but for some reason, it was like the first time I'd read it. And I said, honey, check this out. God wants us to test Him. But we, we don't have the money. I mean, we're, you know... One income. Well, at the time, we didn't have kids. We had, we had two incomes. <laughs> and, and listen, our two incomes combined, boy, I'm telling you, we were making a whole whopping uh, 30000 I think. Maybe a little change left over. And I don't, listen, uh, anyways, I don't get into the whole ego thing, okay, because, again, it's all God's. And what God's given me to manage, I'm thankful for what God's given me to manage. He's given some of you others more to manage. Praise God. He's given some of you less to manage. That's okay too. Praise God, right? Because He sees fit to entrust His stuff to who He sees fit to trust it to. Our responsibility is to be faithful stewards, faithful managers. So this is what we're managing. And I remember seeing this in the text and thinking, okay, we got to stop giving God at the end of the month. Because what we were doing was, okay, we got to pay this bill. we got to pay that bill. we got to get groceries. We need to do this. We'd make out our budget, and it'd be like, well, there's just not enough money. Well, we got to give something to the church. Well, let's just give, let's, let's give this amount. I, I think we'll, we'll just have to cut back on groceries. We'll have to do something. You know. And we would write our church check last. This is a confession. This is, I was a preacher, and this is what I was doing. And, of course, I was justifying. I felt better about it because I was sitting under a pastor who said, oh, it's grace-giving, you know. You only give $10, just give $10. And it was kind of an excuse. That's not what I needed to hear because it made me feel better about what I was doing, yet in my heart I knew I was convicted that I wasn't trusting God to meet my needs. I wasn't trusting in my um, practice of giving. I'm just telling you my testimony on this, okay? So, we began to instead, from the start of the paycheck, right? And we purpose in our heart, we're going to start with at least a tenth. And that's where we started. And we put it in, and we went to praying. Because based upon what we knew... We were going to be in trouble, you know. And some people say, well, that's bad stewardship because you've got to pay your bill collectors. And you're right. We were going to pay our bill collectors. If I had to sell one of the cars to pay the bill collector, we were going to sell one of the cars because we're blessed to have two cars, right? If I needed to cut down my cable package to pay my bills, I'd cut down my cable package. As much as I hate to say this, if I had to give up Starbucks, I'd give up Starbucks. And that hurt. That would hurt right there. But anyway. So, anyways, we did this. And I really, it, through this passage, God was saying, just trust me. Just trust me. So we trusted Him. Guess what? We made all our bill payments. 
And we actually had a little left over at the end of the month, and I couldn't figure out why. And then we began to grow and understand a little bit more about managing finances. And financial peace was a very important part in our life that God used, and it was those biblical principles. We went from not only being able to do that, but we began to eliminate our debt. Then Allison had to go and get pregnant. I'm telling you. It's that Rowan water, I think is what it was. And so then we ended up, how are we going to do this? Because now we'd already purposed long before she, she you know, said, listen, when, we first, when a child comes, we want to stay at home. She's going to stay at home. We're, you know, we're good. We're on the same page with that. That's great. But guess what? Now we just went down to 20000 with a kid. This don't work, folks. On paper, this does not work. But we kept trusting God. That pay didn't jump a whole lot over the next 10 years, yet four children came in total. But I can tell you what did happen. The large amount of debt that we had began to eventually go away. And by God's grace, by God's faithfulness to His Word, to His truth, to His principles, it's gone. And how do we do that? Well, i tell you how we did it. It's because we recognize that it's all God's anyways. I'm just a manager, and He expects me to be faithful in my management. And we've tried to do that. Yes, I've returned to Starbucks, so maybe I need to shave back a couple of cups a week. But here's the point. And I realize some of you are where we were. Some of you are, are, are well beyond that. And I'm going to talk about the three different points here real quick because time's getting away from us. But I'm going to talk about these three different points because, listen, I want, I want you to respond to God where you're at. And we're all at different places in this walk. All right? So I, I don't want anybody in here to feel like this is one of those browbeating messages where... Uh, listen, you just respond to God as He's leading you in this area. But that's how He led us in regards to try me in this and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. And I can assure you, we've been blessed. And, and He goes on and says, verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. I love this in the, in the financial class. Dave Ramsey talks about how there's these little demons that get under your hood and just really want to wreak havoc. You know, it's like your car is always breaking down. What's up with that? I know a couple who they went through the financial peace class and they never put into practice any of the things they learned. And I'll never forget, they called me one time and they said, I just don't understand. We just can't seem to get ahead. And it's very close to me, so I have the freedom to, to, to ask them this. You know, are you giving to the Lord? Well, no, we don't. We, we can't afford to give. So you're not giving anything. Well, no. We can't afford to give. We have too many bills. We have this and that. And now the car's broke down. You see, God told the Israelites, He says, if you will try me in this, stop robbing from me, but try me in this, and see if I will not pour out blessing, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Now, uh, some of yours may read the locusts, but again, you think about it. If they're producing the crops, and out of those crops they're bringing the tenth 
to the, and then the other second tenth, and then every third year to the poor. And for some reason, they're just, you know, they're not really doing what they're supposed to be doing. All of a sudden, now they went from worse to even more worse. And, and, and the locusts were eating the crops that they did have. The same way this couple was having their car constantly break down and another bill showed up and this went wrong and that went wrong. Now listen, Murphy's Law is going to happen. As Dave likes to say, you're going to experience times in your life where it's part of that suffering that you just got to go through. But make sure the suffering we're going through is out of obedience, not out of disobedience, as was the case with the Israelites. So, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of of your ground. Do you know God can do that? Those shoes lasted 40 years. You guys have been buying these $100 plus shoes and they don't last you but three. Give me some of them Jesus shoes 40 years in the desert, man. That's what I'm talking about. That's good stuff. So that it will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. That's what I'm talking about here this morning. Listen to this so that He will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. This morning when we close, and I need to wrap this up because it's going to take a little time in the closing. (laughs) But this end of the stewardship call this morning is in the area of faith promise. And it's in support of our missionaries. Now, I know what this is speaking of literally in its context. But I want to make an allegorical, I want to make a spiritual application today in regards to this. Our missionaries that are out there on the front line advancing the kingdom of God, they're dependent upon us, our finances, our prayers. Just like the Levites of this day were dependent upon God's people to provide. We are dependent upon God's people to provide. The missionaries are dependent upon God's people to provide. And in doing so, out of faithful obedience to the Lord and what He impresses upon you to do, in faithful response to that, there will be fruit from the field. There will be souls saved in Romania. There will be churches raised and planted in Brazil. There will be continued uh, growth in the converts in uh, the Philippines. And we go through the list of where we've had missionaries, where we have missionaries. And out of our obedience, God wants to pour out blessing through us to His people to advance His kingdom. Some people want to argue about the tithe. You know what? That's okay. Argue all day long. But the way I see it is we are under a theocracy. Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. We are a nation. We're a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. And we are seeking to raise funds for the kingdom, if you will. We're trying to advance God's work on this earth. Amen? And that's what your giving does. That's why we must give. And all nations will call you blessed. Verse 12. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. You know why America's been so blessed? Because we started out in obedience to the truth of God's Word. We practiced it, we lived it, we taught it. 
We've sent out so many missionaries across this globe. We've stood by Israel. These are reasons why God has honored His Word. Therefore, we have been blessed as a result. But you and I know, church, that's beginning to change. But that doesn't have to change here in Community Baptist Church. And I'm encouraged with you guys. This is a tough message all around because it's not that I'm implying that we have robbed God. But again, I am encouraging us to look. Look at our lives. I want to challenge you in this area. There there are, are, are three different areas, if you will, and, and uh, that Ron Blue speaks of in generous living. You remember I preached a message back in November on generous living. And uh, anyway, he, he sums it up like this. He says, a tithe equals what you should give. A sacrificial gift is what you could give. And a faith promise gift is what you would give. Let me say those again. Should give is a tithe, 10%. We should give at least 10%. For some of you, that's your message you need to respond to today. Some of you, in all honesty, that's not where you're at. Can I encourage you to try God in this? Just just prayerfully seek Him, and then you do what He tells you to do, not what your pastor is telling you to do. But you seek the Lord based upon His truth, based upon who He is, based upon what we know about Him. For some of you, that's your starting point. That's where, that's where he's putting his finger on your life, just as he did me and Allison years ago. For some of you, it's in the area of sacrificial giving. It's the giving up the Starbucks. Maybe it's cutting back on the package. Some type of sacrificial giving so that you can go greater than you were last year in your giving, even though times are tougher. Again, that's between you and the Lord. And this area I'm focusing on today is in the area of faith promise giving, and, and, and a lot of people get confused about this because, let me explain real quick. And by the way, this is what you would give. By God's grace, I'm prayerfully seeking the Lord to meet this need of, of X amount. I am going to walk by faith to do what I can do, put feet to my prayer, but I'm also going to set this benchmark that I believe God it, 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 with, my, with my, again, being faithful in response to what I know to do, that God will provide this, this, this number to help support our missionaries. Now, here's the thing. We don't rob Paul to pay Peter, okay? I, a, a while back, and I'm not, I, listen, I don't know who, I don't care who. Don't worry, nobody else knows except for maybe one or two people. But anyway, <laughs> here's the point. Uh, a while back, we, we had a special need come up, and, and we had to uh, get... And some of you marked out on your offering envelope and then moved it. I didn't see this, I just, you know. But, but, but moved from Paul to Peter's account. From a general fund to our missions, missions fund. That's not, no, no, that's not what we're talking about this morning. Okay? Last Sunday's message was about general giving. Okay? That's your 10%. Maybe it's a little more. Whatever you've purposed in your heart to give, give cheerfully. That's where you're at on that. We don't include our missions budget in the general fund. 
A lot of folks don't know that. Our missions fund is completely separate from your tithes. Okay, so if you if you just write a check for general offering every time, that doesn't put any dollar towards our missionaries. That's completely separate. Okay, and you need to understand. A lot of folks don't understand. That's how we do things here. Um, so when we give to our missionaries, it's above and beyond the tithe. Does that make sense? If I can put it in those terms, I think it's easier to understand it. So to support our missionaries. We need you to give sacrificially or faith promises you would give using Ron Blue's terminology. So what would you do in regards to supporting our missionaries? What would you purpose in your heart above and beyond your faithful support of the general fund to support missions abroad? And I want, to, I want us to, to think about how we could go above and beyond what we've done last year. Listen to this. This, this is uh, uh, from Ron Blue. If phrases like these define your perspective, let me introduce you to a couple I know. They have no shortage of material wealth, as is evidenced by all the things they own. Their names, in fact, are Mr. and Mrs. Thing. Mr. and Mrs. Thing are a very pleasant and successful couple. At least that's the verdict of most people who tend to measure success with a thingameter. When the thingameter is put to work in the life of Mr. and Mrs. Thing, the result is startling. There is Mr. Thing sitting down on a luxurious and very expensive thing, almost hidden by a large number of other things. Things to sit on, things to sit at, things to cook on, things to eat from, all shiny and new. Things, things, things. Things to clean with and things to wash with. And things to clean and things to wash. And things to amuse and things to give pleasure. And things to watch and things to play. Things for the long, hot summer and things for the short, cold winter. Things for the big thing in which they live and things for the garden and things for the lounge and things for the kitchen and things for the bedroom. And things on four wheels and things on two wheels and things to put on top of the four wheels and things to pull behind the four wheels and things to add to the interior of the thing on four wheels. Things, things, things. And there in the middle are Mr. and Mrs. Thing, smiling and pleased as punch with things, thinking of more things to add to things, secure in their castle of things. Do they sound familiar? Whenever I talk about Mr. and Mrs. Thing in a public forum, their story always strikes a chord with the audience. Everyone, it seems, knows someone who fits the description. And all of us, I suspect, see something of ourselves in the couple. Mr. and Mrs. Thing may be secure in their castle of things, but that's not the end of their story. Here it is. Well, I just want you to know that your things can't last. They're going to pass. There's going to be an end to them. Oh, maybe an error in judgment. Maybe a temporary loss of concentration. Or maybe you'll just pass them off to the second-hand thing dealer. Or maybe they'll wind up a mass of mangled metal being towed off to the thing yard. And what about the things in your house? Well, it's time for bed. 
put out the cat, make sure you lock the door so some thing taker doesn't come and take your things. And that's the way life goes, doesn't it? And someday when you die, they only put one thing in the box. You. Interesting way to put that, though, isn't it? You know, church, nothing wrong with having things. But do things have us? Do things have you? That's the question. Where's your heart? You see, we treasure a lot of things in life. And wherever your treasure is, that's usually where you'll find your heart. What's your heart in? Hmm? The things of God, the work of God? Are we storing up treasures in heaven? Or are we more concerned about storing up treasures in the temporary world? Ah, when I look up at the cross where God's great steward suffered loss. Yea, loss of life and blood for me, a trifling thing it seems to be, to pay the tithe, dear Lord, to Thee, of time or talent, wealth or store. Full well I know I owe Thee more. A million times I owe Thee more. But that is just the reason why I lift my heart to God on high and pledge thee by this portion small, my life, my love, my all in all. This holy token at thy cross, I know as gold must seem but dross. But in my heart, Lord, thou dost see how it has pledged my all to thee, that I steward true may be. Let's pray.